This is Internet Governance Explained. We are Anand Kahlo. Kahlo, how many platforms have you used today? Oh, that's a hard question. Um, but when we talk about social media platforms, I would say probably more than five. Yeah, I guess that accounts for me and many of the listeners too. And it also demonstrates pretty well that platforms have become an ever-present technological aspect in our daily lives. We therefore discuss in this podcast session what power platforms like social media networks have, why they can be compared to states or political institutions, and how they could be regulated. To discuss those questions, we are very happy to introduce Michael Seemann. Michael Seemann studied cultural science at the University of Lüneburg and is a media theorist. He teaches at universities in Cologne and Berlin, writes articles for several media outlets, runs a blog and two podcasts. His main topics are internet politics, digital and non-digital utopias and everything connected to that. In 2016, he was an official expert for platform regulation in the National Parliament of Germany. And his most recent book, The Power of Platforms, Politics in the Age of Internet Giants, was also his doctoral thesis at the University of Tübingen. Welcome and thanks for joining us today. Hi, thanks for having me. To get into today's topic, we would like to talk about a story that happened in the world of social media platforms recently. The Facebook files. Francis Horgan, who used to work at Meta, published several internal documents in September last year. In an interview just a few weeks ago, she said that Meta knows exactly how they could prevent misinformation on their platform, but that they are not doing it because it would affect their profit negatively. So my question to you, Michael, what was your initial reaction to the Facebook files and this aspect in particular? As most people, I found it quite interesting to catch a glimpse into the inner workings of Facebook. The revelations themselves weren't that surprising. Mostly it confirmed what people always suspected, what Facebook would do, like the algorithmic change from 2018, that it was only partly driven by quality concerns and mostly to boost engagement and that engagement is like everything for Facebook. This is hardly new, right? Um, uh, people talked about that, but now we have like kind of a bit of evidence of that. We can now say, okay, we know this for sure. And what came also like as a little bit of a surprise was how well Facebook understood its own ills, right? And how much effort and manpower it dedicated in order to research their own failures and how they uh, nevertheless chose not to act on that knowledge. What also surprised me in the discussion afterwards was um, how it would be scandalized that Facebook would put profit over people, right? That was always a scandalization. But isn't that how companies are supposed to work under capitalism, I wonder? Yeah, probably that is not that surprising. And to us, when we talked about the Facebook files, we thought this is also a good example that points out to the power that platforms have but I guess that there's a bit more to it. So can you briefly define platform power? What does it contain? And also what maybe delimits it from other online services, like the one we're using right now, which is Zoom? Yeah, I think the main thesis of my book is that platforms are themselves, firstly, a specific way of organizing people. It's like an organizational structure that is um, comparable to other 
organizational structures like states or parties or clubs, but in a different way. It's really a new kind of organizational structure. The second thesis would be that these new ways of organizing people come with a new kind of power. I think the main driver of this power, of this platform power, is what the literature always refers to as network effects or network externalities. This is this effect. A network becomes ever more useful the more people participate in it. Um, this is the reason why we all use WhatsApp because everybody's on WhatsApp, right? Um, and how like a network that is not so popular will stay unpopular because it couldn't compete with WhatsApp. It's easy to see how this network effect really plays in the advantage for big platforms because their growth at some point feeds itself. And on the other hand, it really has an effect on the users because the more friends you have on a certain platform, the more difficult it is for you to leave. This is what we call the lock-in effect. Platforms combine this network effects with a special set of controls. In my book, I introduce six um, of these levels of control, which are called control regimes. But let me just introduce three of them here. Um, it's firstly the infrastructure regime, which derives from the design decision that the platform is built on. With every platform, you have implemented some features and some features not. These features enable certain actions. This is already a really powerful lever on user behavior. Just how do you design a platform, right? And there's, of course, the capability of a lot of platforms to exclude users so they can say, we don't want to have this user and we do want this other user, but on, under these terms, right? This is what I call the access regime. And the third regime uh, I want to introduce is the what I call the query regime, query like a Google query or database query, which is the power of the algorithms which can steer the visibility of people or things on the platform. And with this steering of visibility, you can make uh, some matches more likely than others. And this is also like a very powerful tool. So together, this levers of control with the network power becomes this platform power. And this platform power is like the basis of the politics of the platform. Thank you for this definition, which to me was very, very eye-opening to actually understand how extensive the platform power really is. Platform power is this single term, but what it contains is then really impressive. As definitions are rather neutral, I was wondering, how do you evaluate this power? Do you see it solely critical? Maybe is it even dangerous in some ways or has it a positive side as well? I have like a kind of ambivalent view on that. First of all, of course, it is a problem, right? We have like these new structures that are very, very powerful in a new way and uh, without any democratic oversight and any democratic involvement and control. This is certainly a problem for itself. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm quite critical about that. On the other hand, there are a lot of voices, especially in this libertarian school of thinking, that scandalize the fact that there are powerful entities because they just want to abolish every powerful entity. And in that regard, I think that we do need some powerful entities in the digital realm in order to govern what is happening there, right? Think of um, all the really, really nasty shit that's going on on uh, Facebook, Twitter and stuff like that. And then think about there wouldn't be any kind of governance trying to regulate that even a bit, right? And this is really a horror show when you think about it. 
my position is we do need some powerful entities in the digital realm and platforms are these powerful entities but uh, we none of the less have this problem that uh, they don't have a, a democratic oversight they don't have uh, checks and balances they don't have all these safeguards that we put in place for our nation states when it comes to uh, abuse of power and stuff like that Yes, I think this aspect of abuse of power makes the demand for stricter regulation quite obvious, especially concerning hate speech and disinformation. And coming back to the Facebook files, we learned that platform companies would rather ignore problematic parts in order to maintain profitable, so profit over people, as you said. The question of content regulation is heavily discussed at the moment. And in your book, you mentioned this before as well, You compare platforms to states or political institutions which have domestic net politics and foreign net politics. How would you differentiate those two aspects of platforms? Domestic net politics and foreign net politics? And how does regulation from outside the platform, like content regulation laws, come into play here? On the surface, it's quite easy, right? Um, every platform that you can think of needs some kind of internal governance uh, for their internal affairs, right? Uh, and this is what I call uh, domestic net politics. Uh, this politics is driven by the policies of uh, the terms of services or community guidelines from these platforms. And the policing um, takes place in form of moderation, obviously. But I do think uh, we need to take this seriously as a kind of politics uh, and not just as a maintenance thing, but it's really politics. And when you follow the several debates about the deletion of the Twitter account of Trump, for instance, um, you can see that um, there is a lot of politics involved. There's a lot of political thinking involved in these decisions. And I want people to take platform politics in this regard seriously. The other kind of politics that you mentioned, uh, the foreign politics or the foreign net politics, as I call it, is uh, that every platform also needs to manage their relationships to other powerful entities, uh, in particular nation states. And uh, nation states also, on the other hand, uh, really tries to redefine their, their engagement with platforms, right? Uh, we talk a lot about uh, platform regulation, for instance. And uh, this platform regulation is a hot topic uh, in the US, also in Europe, but also in China. And I'm not against that at all, right? Uh, I, I really think that uh, the state has in a lot of ways to define the boundaries within uh, platforms can operate um, and they need to define it more closely. But um, you have to think of it that there's a cost attached to it. Whenever a nation state approaches a platform with their regulation, you need to consider that platforms are themselves powerful regulators. So every regulation imposed on the platform only leads to a restructuring of the control regimes of the platform in order to comply to the regulation. You really don't change anything on the platform power. Yeah, you, you, you really uh, leave the platform power untouched in this way. But on the other hand, you kind of legitimate it, right? And it also strengthens the dependency of the national politics on the platform, uh, because you can't do any politics anymore Uh, without a platform that is powerful enough to enforce your ideas about how things should be regulated. And this is particularly urgent in the area of uh, cybersecurity because platforms are structurally almost always the first line of defense against cyber attacks. Think of Windows or Gmail or Twitter accounts. This is really where the 
attackers enter into the system, enter into whatever they want to engage in. And uh, platforms also are in a lot of cases already the last line of defense because they are the only players that have the resources at their fingertips, like huge data centers with a huge capacities of servers. I see a, a rising dependence of uh, the national politics on platforms in certain ways. And this is what I want to blow the whistle on. Thank you for this insight. I want to change the perspective now and look onto platform power from the side of a user. As from my experience and also from what we were talking before, as a user, I sometimes have the feeling of being completely exposed to this massive power that platforms have. On the one side, I have the feeling regulatory interventions by states, uh, just like drops in the ocean. While on the other side, when I think, for example, of hate speech, disinformation, or when I see stories like the one of the Facebook files, it seems to me that platforms don't really fulfill their social responsibility on their own without being regulated from the outside, I mean. This is why I think that the effectiveness of self-regulation is also questionable. Would you agree to this impression? And if yes, how could the mentioned approaches to encounter platform power be adapted to be more effective? Sure, yeah. Um, I, I totally agree to your um, assessment and I don't want to leave the state out of the equation really. Um, I really think the solution needs to be the state, but I do think that the state needs another approach. Right? Instead of just regulating the platforms, I think the best approach would be that the state really becomes a player itself in the realm of platforms. And, and I think there are two ways to do that. Um, first of all, um, it needs to engage in the technology both as a demander, right? The state is one of the biggest customer in techs anyway. Yeah? So they can really steer a lot with their own decisions for what kind of technology they adapt. Then also, uh, as a second thing, states also can be a supplier, I think. They can also engage into software development and maybe even hardware development. And what I mean is that both things can be achieved by putting all on open source software. The free software movement already showed that it has the capacity to discipline platforms. Think of the browser wars uh, in the end of the 90s and uh, in the beginning of the 2000s. It was really Microsoft's Internet Explorer that was uh, like 99% domination in the world uh, until the Firefox browser came up and broke this domination of the Internet Explorer. I think there's a lot of potential in disrupting the whole platform ecosystem by these alternative players and by these open source and, and open software players. When you combine both the purchasing power of the state and the resources that it has to the already existing ecosystem of uh, open source software, when you combine those both, you have like a huge lever into the ecosystem of platforms. The state really needs to redefine its position in this digitized world um, and obviously it needs to be the champion of the public interest right uh, while the private sector is always seeking for possibilities to create scarcity in order to have their business model and to earn money the state really can engage uh, into funding abundance and, and funding abundance doesn't make sense in a business scale but it does make sense when you think of the public interest that's uh, really interesting 
when I thought about this question, I thought whether we should put the regulation on a higher level, like bringing it from the state to a supranational level, like we kind of have it in the European Union already. Do you think this higher level could also be more promising in restricting platform power instead of each and every single state acting on its own? The regulation on European Union level will always be more effective than on the national level. That's for sure, right? But this logic can be applied at everything, right? You, you can't like put it on another higher level like the UN or something because at that point these institutions are, for that matter, kind of global, but on the other hand, they are also pretty weak. Um, so I think platform regulation is really good suited at the European level, I think. But what you really need is global rules in a way. And I don't see that at the moment. Yes, that goes pretty much hand in hand with the discussions we had in our seminar where we were talking about on which level regulations should take place. So as we can see and sum up, um, the answer to this question is obviously not that easy. So thank you for your assessment. And as we're already slowly approaching the end of our podcast, we have one final question. When thinking a bit more outside the box, and thinking not only about the big players that can regulate, there's one entity we have not much talked about, and that is the users. So is there something each and one of us can do in encountering platform power? I am skeptical about uh, the idea that the single user is really a starting point uh, to counter platform power. But I do think that organized users, like a lot of users, organizing themselves can be a very very powerful force in this fight. When you think about that there's a service that a lot of platforms offer that is called single sign-on. Think of Facebook Connect, for, for instance, or Apple has the same or Google has the same kind of uh, a single sign-on. And uh, the idea is that you can have one identity for using several services and every one of these uh, single sign-on things always pretend to have uh, interests of the user in mind, but clearly they don't. What I think what would be an interesting approach, uh, which I also um, propose in my book, would be uh, to create single sign-on unions, really, right? To gather people under some political platforms, political agendas, and organize themselves into a single sign-on union where they can demand towards platforms what the platform needs to do in order for them to decide collectively to join the platform or even to revoke themselves from the platform. Because um, there's always uh, the chatter about, uh, I will leave Facebook uh, for good now and st stuff like that. And, and this really doesn't make anything, right? So um, only if you organize uh, your interests and your, your ideas and your politics towards platforms, then you have a lever on the platforms. And uh, this is what I would uh, tell people. Organize yourself and find these special levers to demand towards platforms. Thank you for sharing your ideas with us. And with this outlook, what we as the users can do or how we can organize ourselves, we want to say thank you for your time and your input, Michael. This was very, very interesting. Thanks. Thank you very much. And thanks to our listeners as well for tuning in. This was Internet Governance Explained. You can find us on all the main podcast platforms. Thank you.